Welcome back to Red Cedar Radar. I have a very special guest on today, Graham Couch, who you should all know and love. Um, He's a prominent sports writer for MSU, covering all all different MSU athletics. Um, First thing I want to talk about, Graham, how did you get started in this career and how did you end up covering MSU athletics? Yeah, I grew up in Lansing, um, wanted to be a sports writer uh, from a high school age or at least had interest in it and uh went to you know went to school for it went to lansing community college and then columbia college in chicago and studied and then uh you know started my career in in western illinois for a bit in a place called freeport which was an unbelievable experience small paper it was a good paper met some of my closest friends cut my teeth there then wound up in kalamazoo for about six six seven years um and then and i covered college sports a lot there and and the Michigan State beat at M Live, which is affiliated with Kalamazoo, uh, opened up their sort of a, uh, a changeover and and, and ownership and, and direction, and I was put on that beat for a little while, and then the Lansing State Journal columnist job opened up, and, and that had been a bucket list job for me uh, growing up, and um, and so I, I applied for it and 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 got it, and here we are ten years later. Yeah, I like that story. Um... Growing up in Lansing, were you always a Michigan State fan? Yeah, I mean, I, I was as, as, a, as a kid, absolutely. It, mm-hmm. it took, I mean, I would say I was a, I was a diehard fan uh, up into my very early 20s. And it really, um, yeah, I mean, I have, you know, I have very vivid fan memories of Michigan State basketball when I was like 15 years old, when I was 10, you know, all those different teams. Um, and what what sort of happens and I, cause I don't, I think it's a hard, I mean, it would be hard for me to do my job if I was still had those, um, sort of fandom leanings even. And what happens is you're away from it for a while. So when I, when I and started probably in Freeport, when I was covering high school football and other events and you just start missing games and there are other things that are more important. Like there's a moment I still remember covering a Freeport high school, Batavia, playoff game on a Saturday in November of 2004, where there was, I couldn't imagine there being a bigger event in this world. Obviously there were, but that's where you want to get whenever you're covering something to where what you are doing for the people you're covering it for is just huge. And I still remember there was a big college football game that week that some sports writer was talking to me about on the sidelines. And I I just could not care less about that game. And so that, and then in Kalamazoo, all those years covering Western Michigan, and I just, you know, you basically, I missed Michigan State games for six, seven years, and you're paying attention to a different team. And by then, and, and I think that's, that's helpful by the time, you, you know, it, it was, it was long out of me by the time I, I took this job. I don't think I would have taken the job had, had I felt like I was still uh, rooting for Michigan State and still a fan the way I was. As, as a teenager or, or even in college. Yeah, an important part of all of this is being objective and you can't have that as much if you're a fan. I struggle with that a little bit, yeah. Um, well, and, and look, I think there are lots of people who are fans who cover the team in different ways. Um, and I think it's that's okay as long as you're upfront about it, you know, and um, it's not like, I mean, we're covering sports here. It's not the, this isn't, you know, some sort of, geopolitical issue that, you know, sometimes it feels like that, but it, it's, it's, um, 
but it, it it is helpful in the way you see things because it's helpful not to have the emotions of defeat after a loss to see the story clearly for what it is and who the people are uh, who were part of that game and the same for a victory it's important to recognize sort of you just you just see things more clearly and and that's that's what really helps yeah, definitely. You touched on memories a couple times. Um, I want to talk about what your favorite memory, or maybe a, a few favorite memories, covering MSU over these past, you know, 10 years, as you said. What comes to mind when you think of, like, fond moments from the past? Yeah, um, I mean, there there have been some cool moments on, on this, on, on the beat, so to speak. And, and, you know, my favorite moments are often the camaraderie on the road with other writers in different cities. And it's not always big events. It's sometimes, you know, two guys in a, in a, in a, in a bar and a, a fun night and great conversation in Lincoln, Nebraska on a random day in January that you remember and you, you really enjoy. Uh, but there are things like the Rose Bowl year, um, you know, the uh, and, and that trip out to Pasadena and sort of uh, just how big a deal that was for the fan base and, and, um, you know, even my parents went out there cause you know, my, my dad, uh, had season tickets for a long time and, and he had said when I was a kid, he said, well, if they ever make the Rose Bowl, we'll go. And, and, um, when they made it that year, apparently, and this is the story my sister tells that he looked at it, looked logistically tricky. He was like, ah, it's going to be expensive. It's going to be difficult, whatever. And my sister was like, who, who really can, she doesn't care all that much, but she just said, look, you you have been saying this for decades, we're all going. And, and that was kind of fun to have them along. Um, you know, but there have been other, uh, you know, basketball to me is my favorite thing to cover um, because of it's, it's a more intimate. Uh, um, there are more games. It's a different pacing. It, Michigan State has great access. And so you wind up in great conversations with, with players and coaches. And it's just, I, I just enjoy it more. Um, and there have been a number of, of trips and runs. I mean, the, you know, I'll never forget the Cassius Winston where I was sitting in Washington, D.C. in the Elite Eight when they played Duke and Cassius Winston really dribbling right at me as they were dribbling out the clock and realizing, holy smokes, they're going to win this. Or, you know, one of the, I've had a couple really cool feelings uh, just in terms of where you feel the competition and the importance to people. The year they went on that run um, and in 2015 and we're a seven seed and we weren't expected to get to the final four. That final game against Louisville and the final minutes of it and what was at stake for both those teams, you could feel the intensity. Like I remember my, my the hair just like ra <laughs> raising on my arms. And that was a really cool – you don't get that very often. Now, you know, maybe a handful of times in a decade where you can just – feel what it matters to the people on the court. And, you know, I've covered Michigan State in, in a couple different Final Fours, and that was the only time that I remember that very distinct feeling at that moment. So that stands out. So, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great job. I mean, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And, um, I you know, I have a lot of freedom. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, so – Touching on basketball, I kind of want to go into that a little bit. I'm not quite ready to stop talking about MSU basketball yet. I want to kind of go into this past season with you and get your thoughts on 
kind of what went right, where they can improve, and kind of maybe talk about the freshman class coming in next. So looking back just as a season recap as a whole, what do you think went right for the Spartans? Yeah, um, well, not a lot for a while. I mean, early on, they were better than we anticipated, right? I mean, that's the, the, those first two games, or two of the first three games, the, the Gonzaga game and the, the Kentucky game really reshaped expectations for them and the possibilities. And then due to injuries and inconsistency, you, you, you didn't always see it. So I don't, I don't know that a lot went right other than you could see there was always the potential of them for a little something more. And you don't always see that in teams. And, and we saw that at the end. And so what you really want is you never want a season to end with without feeling like you got the most out of what a team could have been. And I'm not saying they couldn't have gone a round or two more. If they beat Kansas State, it's at worst a coin flip against uh, Florida Atlantic and, and, and San Diego State. I don't think they could have beaten UConn. But nonetheless, getting to the Sweet 16, getting back to that second weekend, playing the way they did down the stretch at times, and then in the NCAA tournament, I, I think those are all things that um, – were important for the program, were important for this particular group. I want to go down the Sweet 16 rabbit hole just a little bit. I touched on this in my last episode, so if you're listening, sorry, I'm going to ask the same question again. I, there was some debate on Twitter about, you know, what a Sweet 16 really means. In the grand scheme of things, there's so many more teams, and getting it down to 16, that's that's an accomplishment. I don't think I would celebrate you know, I'm not going to celebrate a Sweet 16 loss, but in your opinion, what? how much does that mean for a program? Yeah, it means different things to different programs. It's one of the great things about the NCAA tournament is for for some programs, smaller programs or programs that haven't been on there, getting in is like almost banner worthy, right? It's a big deal. So for some, it's, it's a win. For others, a Sweet 16 that gets you to that second weekend, that gives you a pause and a chance to look around and say, wow is a big deal for others at the final four and obviously the national championship. And I think for Michigan state right now, because sort of where it felt like they were in the last two years, having teams that were um, not elite and were at one very much a bubble team. And last year even took a while to sort of shed that. And just because they hadn't done it a little bit and the pandemic had cut short that final year with Winston, I think getting back to a place where they felt like they were on a stage and they had a chance to show it and they rose to a moment and they were better, like they were better than Marquette. This wasn't some fluky upset thing. I think having a game where you're, you're better than the teams that are in front of you to, uh, for a weekend, that's something we hadn't seen from the program, you know, and since 2019. And I think that's important moving forward. I think it's important. I think NCAA experiences are important for young players coming back for, veteran players to get a taste and to know what, you know, what they want out of a season. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there is, there's absolute value. And I think it was important for a fan base that in terms of how they feel about the state of things as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good perspective and a different answer than we had last week. So perfect. Um, okay. I want to know your predictions on who you think will stick around from this current roster for next season. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, one of the things that's weird right now is some of the guys don't have to say anything, right? I mean, it's and I mean, if you're going if you're uh AJ Hogard next year's your senior year, there's no need for an announcement. And yet you get a guy like Carson Cooper comes out on Twitter and says, "Let's run it back." Like 
thanks Carson. Like nobody needed that. Like, where were you going to go? Like, I, and um, so I, I do think, I do think I'll, maybe all of them come back other than, than, than Joey Hauser and, you know, and who knows in the NIL world, if he was propositioned with the right, with the right deal, um, what would, uh, whether that would even make sense for him. But um, I think Tyson Walker will ultimately decide to come back. I think um, that you will see um, AJ Hogarth, of course, come back. I think you'll see, Malik Hall come back. I thought he'll he'll come back for a while. I think everybody will come back. If there in this day and age, there's this idea that, that like I do think most years there will be somebody you, that transfers you don't expect, and I think that could still happen. But um, I would I would expect that most of them return. I know that there was, and it's probably just you know someone throwing a name out there. There was some speculation about if Walker came back, would Jaden Akins stick around? What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I think he will. I haven't heard anything otherwise. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, certainly I think they need to make sure he's a bigger part of things. Um, but I think he might have been. Like, it, you know, from talking to the coaching staff at this time a year ago or even a little later in the summer, you know, what they thought was going to happen um, was they thought he was going to be a major, major player. And so that – that didn't happen because of the injury and the, and the injury in the preseason. But if, if the injury doesn't happen, that whole team might be formed differently. And so I, I do think he might've been more of a factor. He might've been somebody who they put the ball in his hands a little more often. Um, and so there's that too. This is also, uh, he comes from, I think a level headed stock. Like I know his dad decently well, smart guy, not an overly reactionary, you know, family. Um, and he's also somebody they've been loyal to over Amani Bates a couple times, really. Uh, and and so I, I would be surprised if 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 he leaves. Now he might they may want to work on making sure, and he may want to make sure he has a little bit of a different role. But you know they can point to things like a year ago Joey Hauser and Malik Hall wanted to play together, and they did, and they said they would, and they did. So there's been some some follow through with some of the uh, sort of the promises that they, they've made in the past in those sort of situations. Yeah. There's some trust there that if they promise things to Jaden, you know, they can use those as examples of, you know, we'll follow through. Yeah, definitely. So going forward, talk to me about the 2023 freshman class. Who is a favorite of yours? Um, I mean, just opinions off the top of your head. Yeah, I mean it's it's obviously the best class they've had since 2016, um, and you know, and that obviously the Cassius Winston, uh, Miles Bridges group. I, I like Jeremy Fears to me is when I watch him, he's a guy who could be a day one starter. He is a uh, he, he there's a bounce to him, there's a playmaking ability to him that I mean he really adds to you. He's, he's I think he'll be a good defender. Um, but if you bring everybody back, you know, you're going to have to, like, I'm pretty sure when he committed that he was not counting on Tyson Walker returning and when he signed, and I don't think he would have, if he thought that, I mean, I'll just be frank. I don't, I don't know that he would have. Now that doesn't mean, you know, he signed a, a, a letter of intent I mean, he's planning to play at Michigan state and I think he can have a great experience, but his role may be a little different than it would have been, um, you know, had, um, you know, I, I if, and even if Tyson Walker, if Tyson Walker leaves, which could still happen, I think you could play him alongside Hogard and 
Jay Nakins. Um, when you look inside at Xavier Booker, a guy who can play the four or the five, uh, has some skill uh, in terms of can shoot the ball a little bit, um, needs to add strength for sure. Um, but who doesn't? I think his upside, you know, he changes their upside a little bit. Uh, Garrick Normand, I like a lot. Reminds me, and this is predating you here a little bit, but Wally Zerbiak was a guy that, if people remember him, a little bit of his style of play, good athlete, good shooter, um, more than a shooter. And then when you look at Cohen Carr, obviously an amazing dunker. We see it. My, the question I have with him is, and, and I don't know this answer because all I see is highlights, and every highlight is a dunk, is will he be this lockdown defender and guy who lives on the glass. And if he is right away, he'll play a sizable role right away. And so, yeah, I think it's a, an intriguing class. That I think you, you need, like, in college basketball, teams cannot just run it back. That does not work. You need to change and grow. And so I, even if a lot of guys are coming back from last year, I think it's important that these guys are being added in terms of Michigan State getting, you know, where they'd like to be next year. Something that you touched on earlier about the Sweet 16 from a fan base perspective, this freshman class is building off the momentum that we built or that the team built up this past year. And I feel like Izzo and his staff can feed off of that with these new guys coming in. And I'm excited about how they will mesh, like you said, with the core group that they have. And I'm excited from the film that I've watched. They all seem like they will fit with Izzo's process. Sometimes you can tell if they kind of don't mesh with what Izzo wants, just kind of based off how they interact with their coach and their teammates and different things like that. And I'm by no means an expert in that area. But when I watch some different things on all of them, it just seems like they will fit within the process, which is really what matters. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think they understand, you know, I, I think at this point, if you're committing to Izzo's program, you understand as a freshman, it can be a, a transition that's not always easy. And I think the best thing that can happen for Jeremy Fears Jr., to be honest, is not being the starting point guard as a true freshman for Tom Izzo. I mean, playing a role where that's still on a guy like A.J. Hogard, I think would be would be really valuable to him. So um, what, what will become interesting is if Tyson Walker returns, and like you said, like I said in my predictions, I, I suspect he will, uh, then you're, you're talking about his role. I think those are conversations that need to happen because this year, late in big games when A.J. Hogard was in foul trouble, he slid over and took over the point. You know, this year he was the unquestioned ball in hands guy, big moments. I think Jay Nakins may get a little of that. The point guard things may go to Jeremy Fears Jr. Like his role may change a little bit. And so he's got to be okay with that as well. Yeah, a lot of variables um, that I don't often think about. And I just want everyone to come back because I don't want to lose them yet. But there's important things to think about as far as their careers and, you know, their aspirations for the future. One more thing that I want to touch about with men's basketball, and then we'll move on. We just recently got a 2024 commit with Kerr Tang. He's a top 40 prospect. Any thoughts on him? Yeah, I don't know a ton about him. I've seen some highlights, um, you know, and uh, obviously you want to start momentum on a class as early as you can. And it, you know, a shooting guard who is, you know, six, four top 40 kid, four-star guy that that's a great a great start and I'm always hesitant with with guys when they commit this early that it follows through and that they'll be there but I do think and, and it'll probably happen but even if it doesn't it, this creates momentum now 
this creates the beginning of the class after what was a great class. And, and really, if you want to uh, have a chance to compete for titles, stacking classes matters and not have it just be a one-year thing. Because while they have a chance next year to be a contender, I think, if, if right guys return and things go well, you know, a, a year later, they could have a really intriguing group, too, that might be in contention, but might look a fair bit different. So you want to keep, you know, keep stacking classes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving on from men's basketball, I want to talk about some recent news from women's basketball. Robin Farlick was just named um, MSU women's basketball new head coach. Just a little edit. It's Robin Freilich, not Robin Farlick. Okay, back to Graham. Anything about this change in women's basketball that you know and kind of looking ahead to their season, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, well, Robin is somebody that, that um, I, I known my almost my, I don't say my whole life, but she grew up at the same church in downtown Lansing that I went to as a kid. Uh, she wasn't Freilich back then. She was uh, Flewelling, but, uh, you know, she grew up at Oakham as she was a star and in uh, uh, high school um, and three sports. Obviously, she was a pretty good soccer player and, other, and I think uh, maybe softball player as well. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I mean, she's obviously impressive, right, what she's done her last two stops at Ashland, um, the 143 record, even though she was an assistant there and, and some things were in place, that's still an amazing mark to win a national title and go undefeated in a year. And Bowling Green, they were really the doormat. And then two years later, a, a MAC champion. So I, I think that she obviously knows how to recruit and coach. And, and every level you go up, it's a little different challenge, a little different player you're recruiting. Um, so there will be that adjustment for her like anything else. But uh, this will be some fresh juice for the program, I think. And, and you know, Susie Merchant, she is, you know, I wrote a column about this when she stepped down. And, and it was, I mean, she is MSU women's basketball to a lot of people. And she's earned that. And, but it, the program was not sort of at its peak moment uh, at, at the end here. And so I do think there will be a renewed energy. And um, and that's a priority right now in that athletic department. And, and to, to get women's basketball to a place where it's it's really competing year in and year out in the NCAA tournament and, and, and for bigger goals. Yeah. I watched, um, MSU women's basketball put out like little snippets of the, um, press conference. It just seemed like she brought a good energy with what she was saying. And I like that she's, you know, a homegrown from Okemos. Uh, I think she's going to bring that kind of drive to bring some pride back to the women's basketball that she grew up watching. So I'm super excited um, for that hire. And I hope, I know some players have left because you always get that with the transition, but I'm excited to see a couple years down the road what maybe she can do after a little bit of transition time. Anything else you want to say about women's basketball? Yeah, no, I, I am too. Because it, it's been, you know, it's been a little while since they've been on the cusp. They were in the NCAA tournament a couple years ago, but, it, you know, there was a, a, a group like in the late 2000 teens 2016 17 that era where if they'd gotten aerial powers to stay another year or uh you know or before that if madison williams had stayed healthy she had a couple she just couldn't quite get the right group to stay healthy the right year and have the right and uh because she you know does have two big 10 titles and so and, and we've seen with joanne p mccully what's possible for msu women's basketball sort of ceiling wise and um i i think that's something that you know they're, they're that has a chance to happen again, but it's, you know, it's a competitive big 10 too. It's, it's a, you know, some, some rivals that Michigan state was ahead of have passed them. So there's some work to be done. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Leaving basketball behind for now, I want to look ahead to football season. Just as an overall question for you, how do you think MSU will bounce back from last season going into the fall? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I mean, I think they're healthier. They're in a better place than um, they were a year ago in terms of, you know, 19 offensive linemen practicing in the spring. Six a year ago, they were bringing guys over from the defensive side. That's a much better place to be because it, it starts up front. I think they'll have enough playmaking offensively. Uh, Keon Coleman, you know, will he become a legitimate, true, bona fide day in and day out star? We'll, we'll see, but they could use that for sure. Um, and you know, the quarterback situation will be will be fascinating to watch. Um, my guess is we won't know that until close to the close to the opener, uh, unless it's definitive this spring and. It, it's not going to be Peyton Thorne and, and they want to give him an opportunity to leave or something, but my, that's not my sense of what, of what's happening there. So, um, and then defensively, you know, it, it's probably time for them to um, have a year where that's not a weakness, right? Where that is um, where there's some strengths you see on that side of the ball, where there's something they can hang their hat on there. They don't have to be an elite defense, but they, I think this is the year you, you need to start seeing some strides there. I don't think this is, Overall, though, the year-year, like I think that what's hard for people to sometimes grasp is just given what happened with when Mel Tucker was hired, when the pandemic happened, his actual recruiting classes, how long it's going to take. I, I do believe that the first years that it's really fair to judge him based on his own kids in the program that he's recruited um, is – 2024 and then really 2025 at the highest level. But this year you, you look at his first recruiting class to me that his first real recruiting class guys that he had on campus and recruited were, were true freshmen last year. And it, it, so those guys are like true freshmen or redshirt freshmen, sophomores, and he's got a freshman class that, that is not, that is, those are not the performance years in college football to the point, the guys who are primarily performing right now are still not, his guys or they are transfers. They're, they're not the way he'd want to build it. And so I think that that, you know, I, I'm not saying it's going to work for sure. I, I don't know um, if, if, but I, I also think that I know it's hard for people, but you know, you, you want, what you want to see this year is more the uh, clock management, the games where things don't go really haywire. You want to see an edge to them. You want to see intangibles. And then you want to start to see, young players they've recruited emerge and say, wow, there's some, there's some talent there. Yeah. Keeping realistic expectations about taking over a program and what that really entails is difficult. You're right. Um, but I, I think you touched on it perfectly. Just getting a taste maybe and some more organization of things to come in the future. Well, I think will satisfy people this next season as he continues to build. So I agree. Any standouts or surprises of anything, any players or things in general that you've noticed kind of in this spring ball time? It's, you know, it's hard to say. We don't, we don't see much. Uh, the, the only practice that's ever open right now is, is basically stretching at the beginning until that final. Um, and, and it's really hard to take. So there, there are narratives that are being put out there and you can read the tea leaves a little bit. Um, I, I mean, I think the, the thing I took away from the, the, the day that Jay Johnson spoke was that to me, it feels like a two quarterback race for this year, probably in terms of Peyton Thorne and Kate Hauser. 
Um, and that may be something that goes into the season. Uh, and, and then, then there's, you know, a point where somebody struggles and that there's a change made. Um, and it, it, it may not, but it, 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 they have not tipped their cat or tipped their hand either way. Um, you know, I think, you know, Nathan Carter is somebody you hear good things about the, the transfer running back, but you know, Davion Prim was the star of last year's spring and then that didn't happen. So uh, it, it's always, there are always stars of spring that don't show up. And I've sort of learned that you can take certain things away in the spring game or whatever open practice, you get a little look at things. Um, but I've been wrong so many times about MSU football heading into a season where you just didn't, you just didn't see it. Um, and, and then sometimes you did all of a sudden, like this Rose Bowl year. Like I remember watching that Iowa game in early October at Iowa City, and they had been really struggling offensively. And writing a column where I said, you know, this is a team, if this is their offense, they can go to the Rose Bowl. And it felt premature. It felt weird to say. But the defense was so elite back then. It was such an unbelievable defense. They didn't need a whole lot. And they, all of a sudden, against a pretty good Iowa team, looked like a very, very functional offense. And that can happen suddenly. All of a sudden, they had the quarterback, and things kind of came together, and the receivers looked ready. So, But in, in, until you see something, I've also learned not to 100% trust just what you're hearing. Of course, there's a lot of time before the season rolls around. Talk to me a little bit more about the quarterback kind of competition that's happening. I feel like, I don't know Peyton Thorne, obviously, but from an outside perspective, I feel like that may be good for him. What's your opinion? Yeah, I mean, he didn't have a great year last year, right? There's no question that, that he needed, I mean, that competition was warranted. It, it shouldn't just be his job. There are other guys in the program who you shouldn't just, just because you're the oldest and you happen to be the starter before doesn't mean you get to just hang on to it. And I don't think he, you know, he, he didn't deserve an unchallenged off season. Now it was a tough year uh, in terms of the offensive line and some of the injuries. And, you know, I don't, you know, he was, he had a lot on his plate and he probably tried to do too much. And, but I, you know, I don't think it was entirely on him, but, but also I can understand the, the, the desire to see the upside or, or something new of, of a player like Caden Hauser from a lot of people. Um, I, my, my only caution would be that sort of in the history of Michigan state, at least modern times, not modern, but the last 15 years, the heralded recruit that everybody wanted almost never wound up being the guy. And it wasn't Keith nickel. It wasn't Messiah DeWeaver. It wasn't Damian Terry. Uh, Andrew Maxwell was a four-star recruit, elite 11 guy, didn't really pan out it, with him as the guy. Connor Cook, a much less heralded guy, wound up being the guy. Um, that has happened over and over and over. And so ultimately, it, scouting quarterbacks at the high school level is hard. And who develops and, and really emerges at the college level always plays out in front of our eyes. We don't get to choose it. Mel Tucker doesn't get to choose it because it happens on the field. And it's usually pretty clear to everybody who the guy is. Yeah, and I think, I mean, my comment and my thought is competition is good. And if it can help Peyton Thorne, who has the experience and has been the guy, you know, the past couple of years, if it can help him get back to the level that we saw in years prior before things got bumpy, then that ultimately would be, from my perspective, what I would like to happen for him and for kind of what we have been building or what they have been building for a while. Um, all I have left is kind of just Coach Cap said that he's noticing a night and day difference. And kind of touched on it 
a couple different things. Obviously, like you said, you can, you've only seen stretching and I'm not going to, you know, have you give any predictions based off that. Um, is there a different air with the program when you've been in there or is it just kind of the same as last season? They're going to grind it out. Have you noticed anything different feeling wise? Well, I mean, I think the thing that, that last season did that, that helps to some degree is it certainly humbled them. Um, I think they came out of last season, sort of a storybook or the year before, I should say, sort of storybook season, the Kenneth Walker deal. They win the bowl game. Everybody's feeling good. Expectations are sky high. And I mean, you know, it comes, I mean, you look at, Keon Coleman not playing basketball, which he loves to do. Same with Malik Carr, but Keon Coleman, especially wanting to get his body right and sacrificing what I think is the sport he loves most. And um, that those are things that, you know, I, I, there's there's probably a focus and edge um, and humbling that happened that, that helps. And then if you've got more health, uh, you got a, a quarterback who knows it's not just his job. You've got an offensive line that's, you know, you've got 19 healthy guys. You ought to be able to find six or seven in there that can play for you on Saturdays. Um, you know, I, I do think, you know, they, they got to replace some some key guys. Xavier Henderson, you know, we saw the defense with and without him, right? And that, you got to make sure you've got leaders. And um, But I, I think they're probably in a, in a better place mindset-wise and health-wise than they were a year ago. Yeah. Okay. Last question here for you, kind of circling back to what we talked about at the beginning of our episode. What is the, your favorite college football stadium that you've covered a game at? Do you have one? It's a good question. I, I mean, I love a lot for different reasons. Like I covered Western Michigan for a number of years in Waldo Stadium on a hill, you know, on a, on a fall night overlooking the changing trees, the Amtrak train going through it, you know, in the middle of the game. Pretty cool setting. Um, I think, you know, there are uh, there are a number of, I'm trying to think, I, mean, I do love like Kinnick Stadium in Iowa. I love sort of the old or the old um, uh, arches and, and the brick facade, and, and I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of that uh, of that place. I love the outside, the exterior of of the of the, the horseshoe in, in Columbus. Um, probably my favorite place though is the first college football game I ever covered uh, was at Virginia, and Western Michigan played there two straight years. Open air press box, which is pretty cool, especially when it's warm. Uh, they have a grassy hill with columns behind it where people sit. Um, a lot of you know, the way it was back in like 2005, 06, was a lot of the uh, guys are in shirts and ties and the women are in sundresses and they sway and sing. And, you know, it, it's a really cool environment. And um, that was probably uh, places I've been and covered. And I'm probably leaving someplace. I mean, I covered the Princeton Bowl at Yankee Stadium. That was really cool and interesting and different. Um, so there've been those sort of sort of things as well. And, and, and in the Big Ten, there are a number of stadiums I that I enjoy. I mean, I even enjoy it. Nobody else likes Northwestern Stadium. I think it's cool. I think it's fun and small and different and whatever. Um, and so I, yeah, there, but there are a lot of stadiums that, that, that you like for different reasons. I like Purdue. I think it's easy. It's fun. It's um, I don't know. I don't need the biggest place in the world to create the sort of best party and atmosphere. Any that you don't like? Yeah, that's a good question. For a while, I didn't like Wisconsin, but that had nothing to do with Wisconsin. The only time I went there, they didn't play there for a long time, only in 2012, and I had a cold and 
we had to walk like a mile from the parking and I was wearing a sports coat and I was like, it was a hot day and I was starting to sweat. My nose was running like, and we may have gotten a little too drunk the night before and I was a little bit hungover. And so like, I remember the feeling of that day. That's, it was no fun. Um, trying to think of places I really don't like. I want to say, and maybe this wasn't you, but when Michigan State went to Washington this past go around, was it you that didn't bring a jacket or something and had to buy a sweatshirt? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was wearing, I was wearing a, a University of Washington sweatshirt during the game. Uh, nobody told me it was an open air press box um, and that it was going to be like with the wind up there and everything, it was cold and I knew I was going to have to focus and work for the funny thing is I almost forgot to take it off is because I, I finished like the three quick takes and I've got to kind of race down the interviews and you just sort of forget what you have on and I was like halfway to the elevator and I just threw it off and um but yeah that um my wife still wears it and <laughs> so I, I have watched you and Solari and some of the others race down to the press box before so I get it you can't have anything in your way to get down there as fast as possible. You, you probably heard the profanity and all the, uh, yeah, the, the best moments of us, no doubt. Yeah. Well, my dog's barking a little, but I just want to say thank you so much for being on. I appreciate your time very much. Um, this pod will go audio and video. So subscribe to our YouTube and check out Spartans Illustrated for more Michigan State coverage. Thanks so much. Bye.